G'day, mate. 40 here. So there are many bogus forms of psychology, but perhaps the most bogus, like even more bogus than uh, Freudianism and uh, psychoanalysis is personality psychology, which is one of the most popular branches of psychology. So personality psychology is based on the idea that we have these distinctive essential, you know, personality traits. And we don't because whatever traits you think you have, whether you're outgoing, extroverted, introverted, conscientious, not conscientious, open to new experience, neurotic, get along with other people. It all depends on the situations that you find yourself in. And so I was just listening to a terrific uh, podcast from the ABC in Australia. It's a podcast called All in the Mind. And uh, it, it makes these points that uh, personality is not nearly as, not nearly as, as determined and set as, as we think it is. Have you ever wanted to change your personality? Maybe you want to be more hardworking or open to new experiences or more assertive. You might think that our character traits are fairly fixed. Perhaps there's some change in your younger years, but after that, things are pretty much set. Most people who are not researchers believe that personality is the most difficult thing to change in their psychological makeup. But that's not what the evidence is saying. I think the research over the last 10, 20 years has really started to challenge that a little bit uh, because there is accumulative evidence that, you know, we are perhaps not as fixed as we had imagined. The changes that we found have been much more dramatic than we expected. You're listening to All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, we unpack the growing body of research on personality and whether you can change it. Here's producer James Bullen. Erin is a substance abuse therapist and counsellor from Dallas, Texas. These days, she's fairly extroverted. When she feels like she's around the right people, she's outgoing, social and friendly. But it wasn't always this way. I was raised fundamentalist, Baptist, Christian, homeschooled. So basically, as I was growing up, I was introverted by environment or introverted by necessity. But it also, the environment I grew up in was, I mean, it wasn't the worst, but it did have, I don't know, there were some issues. And I've been working through some of the trauma responses I still have from growing up in that restricted of an environment. But I also learned early on that being alone was when I was safe, because if I could sort of get away what was going on in the home environment and sort of just, you know, isolate myself in my room and sort of lose myself in books and these fantasy worlds and the internet. When I got access to the internet in my early teens, that was my safe place. A typical day for Erin would be pretty solitary. I would get up, go downstairs, have breakfast, usually had like my headphones in or I was reading a book then and always sort of being in my own little world. And then I was homeschooled again, so I just kind of go upstairs and work through a lot of the material by myself. And in the classical way we think about introversion, social interactions could leave Aaron feeling exhausted. I would just feel very tired. Okay, put him in a different situation and he, he's totally different. So psychologists love to talk about the big five personality traits, extroversion versus introversion, openness to new experience versus closed, uh, conscientious, not conscientious, uh, agreeable, not, not agreeable. And all these traits are essentially situation-driven. If you're in a lot of situations where it pays you to be outgoing, then people will think of you as outgoing. 
if you're in a uh, ton of situations where it pays for you to be open, then you'll learn to be more open. If you're in situations where it, it pays off for you to be conscientious, you'll tend to be conscientious. All right? So when you're more successful in life, you'll be more outgoing. You'll be more energetic. You'll be more generous. You'll be more agreeable. You'll be more open. You'll be less neurotic. When you're failing in life, you'll be more introverted. You'll be less energized. You'll be less generous. You'll be less agreeable. You'll be less open. You'll be more neurotic. All right? So, personality does not really determine our behavior. Right? People typically lack a core self, an essential self. Right? People lack character. Right? So, compared with advances in the natural sciences, like psychology has exhibited you know, very little progress. And th this notion that uh, you know, personality just you know, robustly determines behavior is, is bogus. Right, we're constantly invoking character and personality traits to, to explain why people you know, do what they do and why they live where they live. You know, Peter doesn't mingle because he's shy. I'm, I'm thinking of this terrific book here by John M. Doris, Lack of Character. Right? And, and he makes the point, essentially, personality and moral behavior is largely situational. Right? You put someone in a situation where it pays them to be outgoing, they'll become outgoing. Right? So we say, oh, Peggy will join in because she's impulsive and Brian will forget our meeting because you know, that's just how he is. He's, he's absent-minded, right? But these predictive and explanatory appeals don't really hold up to examination. That They're empirically failing validation, right? So people, psychologists, personality psychologists, think, oh, we get someone's personality, then we can predict and explain their behavior, and it just doesn't stand up, right? Global conceptions of a personality are based on the existence of substantial behavioral consistency, and that just simply has not been demonstrated. We behave differently in different situations. Right? If you're in a situation where it pays to be dishonest, you will become dishonest. And you know the basis for personality psychology? It's all self-reporting, people just bubbling in things. Right? They're just like, oh, I'm just going to shade in this bubble. Like, I feel outgoing, I feel open, you know, I feel closed. It's all self-reported. It's, uh, it's bogus. All right? The dispositions that operate in one situation, you know, don't operate in a very different situation. Right? All sorts of, of directions operate within us depending on the situation. Right? We have all these tendencies, and they all live within our single personality, which doesn't really exist. Right? There's virtually no relationship found between personality measures and overt behavior. Right? Globalist accounts that the people have a character, have a, have a you know, heavily determinative personality or moral character, there's just no empirical evidence for it. You know, biographical information often shows people undergo remarkable personal disintegration. Right? There are very few consistency correlations. So behavior is not typically ordered by you know, certain robust traits. Right? The, the determinative impact of unobtrusive situational factors often undermines the attribution of robust traits. Often the architecture of where you're at will have more effect on your personality than your so-called personality. Like if you're in a church, you're in a synagogue, you're in an amazing you know, natural space, like where you are, you're in a bar, you're you know, in, on a dangerous street, that's going to determine your behavior more than your personality or your moral character. So, 
there are low consistency correlations between so-called personality traits and how people actually behave. Right. Personality research is just all self-reported, you know, bubbling in. Right. You look at biography, it just confounds the explanatory and predictive power of personality psychology. So it, it's the, the five-factor model, the big five of personality, it's all based on self-reported pencil and paper variety, just bubbling stuff in. Right? We, we, there's no empirical support for uh, consistent relationships between attitudes and overt behavior. So I'm reading Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan. He says that if you govern people's opinions, you'll govern their behavior. It's not true. Right? You can uh, try to legislate people's opinions. You can try to crack down on hate speech. It's not going to change people's behavior. Right? You can't really find correlations between people's attitudes and opinions and their, their actual behavior. Right? We're shaped by situations. And so this is often called the fundamental attribution error or the correspondence bias or over-attribution. Say, oh, someone behaves this way because they're fundamentally honest or dishonest or outgoing or open or neurotic or conscientious or agreeable, right? Performance in job interviews doesn't correlate with subsequent job performance. Now, we interpret other people in line with our own expectations, and we interpret ourselves in line with our own expectations. So we may think we're honest, we're outgoing, we're, we're conscientious, we're agreeable, right? And then we will justify and rationalize our own behavior and other people's behavior to make sure it's uh, consistent. But there's basically very little consistency between how people actually behave and how we expect them to behave or how we expect ourselves to behave. Now, for the purpose of living, we, we kind of have to assume that the personality is real, that moral character is real, that people have a, a solid identity, and the self is an entity, you know, contrary to all, all evidence that's Ian Forster. So here, let me just play a little bit more from this uh, terrific Australian podcast. It's called All in the Mind. It's from the ABC. And drained and would retreat back into my room to uh, replenish my energy stores, as it were. But that all changed when Erin graduated from community college in the States and went away to university. Because, again, I went from being mostly homeschooled and kind of always having a place that I could go back to and be alone, which was my own room, or to university. So I was in a dorm room that I shared with a couple people. I had a partner at the time, and we were always together. So even if, even if I was alone, I would usually be alone with my partner. That kind of forced Erin to put herself out there. And she realized she enjoyed this. So university, I think I started to open up more. So I got involved with some of the like gaming clubs and D&D clubs and some of the nerdier aspects of college. And I really enjoyed that. So I started to branch out but i'd still say at this point i was mostly introverted but i could feel myself getting more comfortable socially and adjusting more to like societal expectations and also just feeling i was around people who felt more like my people i suppose i think my partner definitely noticed 
because of the two of us, he was the more So when you find your crowd, you become extroverted. When you get confident, when things are going well, you'll be more extroverted. When you're failing, when you're you know, going through tough times, you'll become more introverted and neurotic. Introverted. So I would notice that I would want to go out and I would want to go do more things and he would want to stay behind. So if you're being successful in life, you'll be more inclined to go out. You'll be more inclined to, to meet people, interact with strangers, to start up conversations. When you're failing in life, you'll be less inclined to do all those things. You'll be less open to new experiences. I started to notice that I was drifting more in the direction of being extroverted and wanting to be involved in activities and different clubs and different, like going to fencing competitions and whatnot. And he mostly wanted to stay behind or stay home. So I started to notice at least in comparison to that, that I was definitely getting more extroverted where we started at the same level of extroversion when we first moved to university. Change the situation, your personality so changes. So Erin became more extroverted over time. But what does that actually mean? The gold standard of personality measurement is the Big Five personality test. Which yes, I've heard Sam Vaknin. He does a lot of videos on uh, narcissism. I found many of them quite interesting. Which we've talked about on All in the Mind in the past. Personality traits are the patterns that we exhibit when we don't think about things. And they tend to fall into five large categories that we organize them by. Brent Roberts is a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois. He's a leading figure into work on personality change. And here, he's walking us through the traits that make up the big five. Extroversion versus introversion. So whether you tend to be sociable and outgoing versus shy and introverted. Agreeable versus disagreeable. It's the second category. And that's whether you tend to be kind and generous to others or, let's say, cold and aloof on the opposite end. Conscientiousness, which is the domain that I study the most. And uh, on the high end, that's hardworking and organized. On the low end, that's disorganized, maybe irresponsible. Impulsive is another term used to describe those folks. The fourth domain is emotional stability. On the high end, that's being calm and resilient in the face of difficulties. And Come on, so if there are reasons for you to become conscientious, you'll start being more conscientious. It's like those surveys where they ask people, oh, do you know the capital of Australia or the capital of England? And people give the wrong answer because what's the incentive for people to really think and to really like dig into the question so they just pop off anything because they're not incentivized, right? You incentivize people, it'll bring out all sorts of personality traits which you may have thought were... were in this age. is an ABC podcast. ABC, Australia, the national broadcaster. This is a podcast called All in the Mind. It uh, analyzes self-help. Have you ever wanted to change your personality? Maybe you want to be more hardworking or open to new experiences or more assertive. You might think that our character traits are fairly fixed. Perhaps there's some change in your younger years, but after that, things are pretty much set. Most people who are not researchers believe that personality is the most difficult thing to change in their psychological makeup. But that's not what the evidence is saying. I think the research over the last 10, 20 years has really started to challenge that a little bit uh, because there is accumulative evidence that, you know, we are perhaps not as fixed as we had imagined. The changes that we found have been much more dramatic than we expected. Yeah, You're because listening to All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, field. we unpack the growing body of research on personality and whether you can change it. 
Here's producer <laughs> This James research Bullock. is just based on bubbling stuff Aaron in. Erin is a substance abuse therapist and counsellor from Dallas, Texas. These days, she's it's fairly extroverted. When like, she feels like oh, she's around this. the right people, oh, she's I feel outgoing, that way. social, and friendly. Oh, this but is how I feel. it wasn't always this way. Self-reported. I was fundamentalist, Baptist, Christian, homeschooled. So basically, as I was growing up, I was introverted by environment or introverted by necessity. But it also, the environment I grew up in was, I mean, it wasn't the worst, but it did have, I don't know, there were some issues. And I've been working through some of the trauma responses I still have from growing up in that restricted of an environment. But... I also learned early on that being alone was when I was safe because if I could sort of get away what was going on in the home environment and sort of just, you know, isolate myself in my room and sort of lose myself in books and these fantasy worlds and the internet when I got access to the internet. Right. If you grow up in a restrictive environment where expressing the things that you're interested in is frowned on, then you'll become introverted. You'll become sad. You'll become neurotic. Get yourself in a situation where you can thrive and a whole different you will come out. In my early teens, that was my safe place. A typical day for Erin would be pretty solitary. I would get up, go downstairs, have breakfast, usually had like my headphones in or I was reading a book then and always sort of being in my own little world. And then I was homeschooled again, so I just kind of go upstairs and work through a lot of the material by myself. And in the classical way we think about introversion, social interactions could leave Erin feeling exhausted. I would just feel very tired and drained and would retreat back into my room to uh, replenish my energy stores, as it were. But that all changed when Erin graduated from community college in the States and went away to university. Okay, so if your social interactions suck, you're going to feel drained. And then you're going to retreat. You'll lose energy, you'll lose enthusiasm, you'll be less agreeable, you'll be less open, you'll be less conscientious. Change your state, change your situation, you'll change your personality. Because again, I went from being mostly homeschooled and kind of always having a place that I could go back to and be alone, which was my own room, or to university. So I was in a dorm room that I shared with a couple people. I had a partner at the time and we were always together. So even if, even if I was alone, I would usually be alone with my partner. That kind of forced Erin to put herself out there. And she realized she enjoyed this. So university, I think I started to open up more. So I got involved with some of the like gaming clubs and D&D clubs and some of the nerdier aspects of college. And I really enjoyed that. So I started to branch out but i'd still say at this point i was mostly introverted but i could feel myself getting more comfortable socially and adjusting more to like societal expectations like you found a job that you thrive at you find a relationship where you thrive find a community where you thrive you find a city where you thrive you find a school where you thrive that whole different personality will come out and also just feeling i was around people who felt more like my people, I suppose. I think my partner definitely noticed because of the two of us, he was the more introverted. So I would notice that I would want to go out and I would want to go do more things and he would want to stay behind. So I started to notice that I was drifting more in the direction. You get a partner who wants to go out and you follow along with that partner, you'll start becoming more extroverted. You'll start becoming more open to new experiences, right? You show, you develop a partner who is 
paying attention to details, you'll become more conscientious. Oh man. Oh this man. This is an ABC podcast. Extroverted wanting to be involved in activities and different clubs and different, like going to fencing competitions and whatnot. And he mostly wanted to stay behind or stay home. So I started to notice, at least in comparison to that, that I was definitely getting more extroverted where we started at the same level of extroversion when we first moved to university. So Erin became more extroverted over time. But what does that actually mean? The gold standard of personality measurement is the Big Five personality test, which we've talked about on All in the Mind in the past. Personality traits are the patterns that we exhibit when we don't think about things. And they tend to fall into five large categories that we organize them by. Brent Roberts is a professor. Okay, so I've got a link in the video description to a terrific book that addresses all this lack of character, personality, and moral behavior by philosopher John M. Doris, and also a link to this terrific uh, ABC Australia podcast, All in the Mind. I got to run off. I got a meeting. Bye bye.